Hello, and welcome to Mayo Talks, a brand new podcast from Mayo Clinic, featuring expert insight on today's medical issues. You can learn more about us at mayotalks.com. This week, we'll be highlighting talks from the annual Selected Topics in Internal Medicine Conference held in sunny Kauai, Hawaii. Today's talk, Acne and Rosacea Management in Primary Care, was presented by Dr. Rochelle Torgerson. Here. What I'd like to talk to you about is something, um, uh, whether you're thinking about it or not, honestly, you're seeing in a lot of your patients on a daily basis acne and rosacea. I do not have any conflicts, I have no relationships with industry, but because this is dermatology, nearly the entire field of dermatology is off label. So I'll be talking about off label use of medication. And my aim here is high yield facts, okay? So basics, we're not gonna go to the odd cases, the unusual situations, we're gonna go for bread and butter high yield. And I'm gonna concentrate on first line therapies. If you delve into the world of dermatology, there are eight million ways of treating everything, okay? But for the two things I'll be talking about today, there are truly accepted first line therapies, and that's what we'll focus on. I'm breaking it down so that both the first half will be acne, the second half will be acne rosacea, and in each of those halves we're going to talk about the subtypes of the disease, and I'm not doing this to confuse you. I am, I promise you, a lumper, so I will only split if it gives us some reason to do so. The reason to do so for both these diseases is treatment. You treat differently depending on subtype. So that's why we're gonna subtype these. Then I'm gonna talk about universal and targeted therapies, and then finally finish up with a little bit of what's new. There's a little bit new for both things. So acne, very common. Most of us in the room have had it at some point in our lives. There are a lucky fuel souls that I do not like that never had a pimple. <laughs> Don't like them at all, not one bit. Acne, although it's common, is actually relatively complex. There are lots of factors that go into the making of the pimple or comedone. First off, you've got dysfunction of the keratinization process. So if you look at the top right in here, the area around the hair follicle is actually constantly making new skin that needs to slough off. Well, we're doing that on the top of our skin. Getting it up and washed away is easy. When you're making that down in the hair follicle, it's pretty easy for a clog to start to develop. That's one of the key factors in the making of a comedone. Next is sebum production. So making oil through here, spilling that out, very hormonally regulated certain times in our lives, especially during youth when we're making more sebum. We've got P. acnes, the bacteria that like to hang out here, inflammatory mediators, and then androgen sensitivity, as well as focus or problem in androgen excess. So what are the two types of acne? First one, comedonal, second one, inflammatory. In the world of comedonal, what do we have? We have this, where the clog is open to the surface. That's a blackhead, okay? And I'll, I'll, from here on out, typically, I'll usually use the word blackhead when I talk to these. I don't know why we had to go fancy. The next one over here, the clog still has a little bit of epithelium over the top. That's a whitehead. So open comedones, blackheads, closed comedones, whiteheads. Blackheads, whiteheads. Basically on physical exam, what this is, is 
the black open opening of a pore versus a little white bump. You see it if you're close to the skin and you feel it with the whiteheads with some roughness, but there's not a lot of inflammation. Once we get inflammation on board, we flip over to the inflammatory subtype. With the inflammatory subtype, you've got, excuse me, a closed comedone in a way because you aren't open to the surface, but usually what happens is there have been breaks and this has opened up a bit on the side. Inflammatory mediators get involved and you've got erythema and more edema and swelling. So inflamed papules, pustules, nodules, cysts, okay? So comedonal acne, blackhead, whitehead, not a lot of inflammation. Inflammatory acne, pustules, nodules, cysts. Redness usually involved. So our first question, what is the best treatment for this 25-year-old woman's nose acne? And I'm giving you a close-up of her nose. A, benzyl peroxide, B, clindamycin solution, C, tretinoin cream, D, doxycycline, E, isotretinoin. And to help you all out, isotretinoin is Accutane. Access to anything prescription, the first thing to try would have been benzyl peroxide. It would have helped a tiny bit for blackheads, but it doesn't help a ton for blackheads. It does very little. The gold standard, without a doubt, for a blackhead, which is what you're seeing on the nose, very common location for blackheads, is tretinoin cream. So tretinoin is known as Retin-A, so Retin-A cream. What does is, what is a tretinoin do? Tretinoin actually helps with that keratinization process. Remember how I said the dead skin is made, it needs to get up through that pore, up to the surface and out? The tretinoin helps that process occur much more efficiently. So it stops the plug from forming. That's why actually, the retinoids, or tretinoin cream, is the first line for treatment for any version of acne. Now, I'm coming from Minnesota, and a lot of folks in Minnesota will tell you, my patients can't tolerate it, okay? I can guarantee you that even in a cold, dry climate, if you start slowly, your patients will be able to tolerate it. The problem is most people read a label that says apply every night and they start applying every night. Okay. So we need to apply it at night without a doubt because the retinoids are deactivated by ultraviolet light. So that's why we apply them at night. We have to start low and by low I mean low as in no one wants to start this low because they're anxious and they want their acne to get better. But if you start at every third night application, do that for a week. If it's January in Minnesota, maybe you do that for two weeks, okay? And then you advance a night. So you go from every third night for a week, every other night for a week, and then if there's enough humidity in your climate, you can get to every night application. In Minnesota, for some people, they are every night application, maybe April or May through October, and they are every other night application, November through March. It's all climate dependent, how much humidity is in the air, because the side effect for these, dryness, redness, and irritation. 
Now you're gonna meet a patient that says, oh, I can, I can get through that, because they think the goal of the drug is to like peel a new layer of skin. Not the goal, <laughs> all side effects. So we wanna to try to avoid those and get people slowly on board. What happens when you get on board is we call that your skin has been retinized. And once you achieve that, less likely you're gonna build those little tiny blocks in the pore. Because that dryness irritation is the side effect, I put a list here of the different retinoids that you'll commonly see, and I put from the least drying to the most drying. And you have to know your patient's skin, how dry they are, and know your climate, basically, to know where you need to be in here. Effectiveness is really quite similar between all of them. The drug companies might tell you something else in their literature, but if there's a difference, it's minor. The big difference in those is side effect, dryness, and irritation. Okay. Next patient. This is a 32-year-old. She's been using her tretinoin cream, okay? She got up, she got on board, she's doing well, and she thinks her acne does look better, but she wants more improvement. What would, you, what would be best to add to her regimen at this point? A, benzyl peroxide wash, B, clindamycin solution, C, clindamycin solution plus benzyl peroxide wash, D, erythromycin solution, E, erythromycin solution plus benzyl peroxide wash. Okay. I've actually just got probably one little factoid to add, and most of you will be completely on board. So once again, if you didn't have a, access to a physician, benzyl peroxide wash alone would be reasonable to try. In this situation, probably minimal benefit if you're already using the retinoid, okay? But clindamycin, because it is just slightly superior to erythromycin, is probably what you want to add in this situation. She has inflammatory acne left. Now, why do you not want to use it alone? Because clindamycin alone, even topically, will eventually, you'll develop resistance to it. If you have the benzyl peroxide wash on board, you will probably not develop resistance to your topical clindamycin. So that's the little factoid to basically get the majority of you into the right answer. And it's not that erythromycin solution is bad. Dermatologists use it. But if you're going out of the gate, results do show clindamycin a little bit different than erythromycin. If you've practiced for enough years, you've known that there's been these swings of resistance to erythromycin and acne. We're actually in a little bit of a dip right now, so we can use it again in acne. I'm sure in a matter of a couple years, we'll be back up and it won't work as well. So, we've talked about, in that second question, non-scarring inflammatory acne. So what do you do? Retinoids at night, first line for any kind of acne. So you start there. Next step to go to, topical clindamycin with a benzyl peroxide wash. And if you still need more, that's when we go to the oral antibiotics. And we love the tetracycline family. Doxycycline or minocycline are usually the best tolerated and allow your patients to eat. And with the new guidelines from the United States, we're supposed to hold people at three months. 
gets tough. Acne doesn't always stop in three months. But those are the US guidelines now. If we're going to an oral antibiotic for acne, we're supposed to limit ourselves to three months. After that, we're supposed to think about alternatives. I did not spend time really talking about, I'm not going to spend a lot of time about talking about scarring inflammatory acne. There's really only one solution here. That's oral isotretinoin, which is Accutane. You have to be part of the iPledge government program in order to prescribe this. Although there are some primary care doctors in some locations that do, for the most part, this needs referral to a dermatologist to get this accomplished. Don't delay. Although, yes, we have some treatments for acne scarring, we are by no means excellent at it. So if you see acne that's starting to scar, refer it fast. Acne scarring has a huge impact throughout a person's entire life, down to whether they get hired for a job or not, whether they complete college, whether they go on to graduate school. There's a huge correlation between scarring acne and acne scars and just success in life. So don't minimize scarring acne, refer. Okay. Next patient, 34-year-old woman, significantly bothered by her acne, desires contraception. Now you have to assume all things being equal on the planet. The best contraceptive for her is A, sorry, implant, B, combined oral contraceptive pill, C, copper IUD, D, progestin IUD or Mirena, E, vaginal ring. Advertising apparently works even for physicians. That's good. So, <laughs> implants. They usually will flare acne in an acne-prone patient. Though That's been known for years. The copper IUD, probably no difference here or there. The progestin IUD, even though they say in the package insert information that you're not going to have systemic effect from it, ask a dermatologist. It will flare acne in acne-prone individuals that have hormonally sensitive acne. Vaginal ring, there's actually not a lot of data out there. My guess is it's kind of neutral. Best thing you've got if you want to treat hormonal acne is combined oral contraceptive pill. How do you know you're dealing with hormonal acne? Sort of two features to ask about. One is, do you see a correlation with the menstrual cycle? And what you would expect is a flare that starts a little bit before the onset of menses, continues through menses, and then seems to mellow out through the mid-cycle. Other thing to look for is distribution. This is not true for all adult women with hormonal acne, but for a lot of them, you get it dropping down, so it goes jawline, upper chin, across through here. It doesn't do central face as much, and it doesn't do upper face as much. Can, usually doesn't. So any of the combined oral contraceptive pills actually do seem to benefit hormonally driven adult acne. Those with drosperinone probably help a tiny bit more. So are we cheating women? So let's say you get a male patient with that type of acne and you give them doxycycline, well, sort of that type of acne, adult acne, and then you get a female patient and you recommend an oral contraceptive pill. Are you cheating the women? No. So 
Placebo is never superior to treatment, but at three months, if you compare an antibiotic to a combined oral contraceptive pill, the antibiotic might be slightly, very subtly better, but at six months, they're equal. And therefore, safety purposes, wanting to get off of oral antibiotics in a three-month time period, this is a great option for adult women with hormonally driven acne, and most adult women have hormonally driven acne. So, although the U.S. put out new guidelines for acne, read them only if you want to get confused. If you want something more straightforward, the Europeans put out guidelines that are much more straightforward. And this is the table that I stole from. Comedonal acne, blackheads, whiteheads, topical retinoids, like your different and your retin-A. Inflammatory, mild to moderate acne, once again, first line is that retinoid. Then next up, topical antibiotics like clindamycin with your benzyl peroxide. If you need to move it up, oral antibiotics, trying to limit it to three months, and then hormonal options if that's appropriate for the patient. Severe inflammatory acne, sometimes you can try those hormonal options in women, but usually you have to head to isotretinoin, which is Accutane, which dermatologists required, pretty much. So what's new? Adapalene gel, which is different gel, it's one of the retinoids, is approved for over-the-counter. Haven't seen it on a shelf yet, but in theory it's coming to a drugstore near you. Um, it is ridiculously safe. It's easy to use. It will be fabulous. I have no idea. Um, I haven't seen a price prediction as far as price point for it yet. It will obviously come into play for dermatologists, though, as we're going to have a harder fight to get some of our other retinoids covered by insurance companies. So it will impact a dermatologist's practice significantly. Also new to the market in the last couple of years, tons of combination products. Putting the topical antibiotic in with the benzyl peroxide already, putting a topical antibiotic in with a topical retinoid, basically putting two things into one tube, okay? Expensive, expensive, expensive for your patients. Much better to prescribe the two separately or get the benzyl peroxide over the counter, prescribe the topical antibiotic. There's no gain in putting them together in one tube beyond convenience, but the price skyrockets. Topical Dapsone, incredibly expensive, anti-neutrophil kind of drug, so it tries to get at inflammation. Not very beneficial for acne. The original studies made it look awesome, but studies since it came out, not so great. Chemical peels, whether it's done by a doctor or in a spa, depending on the depth of the peel, it tries to help with that stopping of the clogging of the pores. They help a little bit. It's not like they're useless, but patients will probably go through a lot of money because it's not like you do it once. You're going to have to do it probably monthly ongoing. Some situations it might be the good option, not that often. Light treatments. I just saw recently a commercial, and I can't remember who did it, but they put one of the light treatments over the counter so you can do it at home. Research on the light treatments, which is supposed to decrease the inflammatory mediators again, Eh, not so great, but safe, and will make some companies a lot of money at this point. Diet. What about diet? Interesting. 1960s, 1970s, diet got debunked for acne, but the studies weren't done that well, so they came back around, and in the last five years or so, studies have been repeated. The two things that may matter, it's not huge, 
It may help to have a low glycemic index diet, and it may help to have a lower milk intake. I like, feel like I should spend my life telling you know, young girls and women to drink milk, so I have a hard time preaching this one. And it's minimal impact, but if someone wants to avoid medications and things, this would be something to try. Okay. Who most commonly gets rosacea? On to uh, second half. A, men. B, 60-year-olds. C, 20-year-olds. D, those with Celtic ancestry. E, those with Russian ancestry. Good job. Now, uh, what I would like to know is the follow-up question of how many 60-year-olds in the audience picked 60? <laughs> So it's actually, in theory, in studies, women more than men. As with most things dermatologic, there's probably a huge referral bias, so to speak, in that sex difference. Okay? Uh, the uh, dilated blood vessels that can come with rosacea are much more bothersome to women than they are to men, typically. So I'm assuming that has a lot to do with that. As far as the age, it's actually right in between those two numbers. So it's right somewhere in the 40s that rosacea usually um, comes on. And as far as ancestry, if you go to the British Isles, that's kind of where you have your highest numbers. Next highest numbers as you move over to the east, Scandinavia. And then next highest numbers as you head towards Russia. That being said, anybody can get it. But those are the, genetic-wise, the areas with the highest incidence. So once again, actually, probably important to note, I don't have a slide in here about pathogenesis. We do not understand very well the pathogenesis of acne rosacea. There are thoughts that it has something to do with the innate immune system, but not positive. So that's why I skipped that slide. We went straight to types. So types of acne rosacea. This time around, three types. The first type on the left is what we call, a, we shorten it usually, to erythrotelangiectatic rosacea. Basically what this is, is dilated, persistently dilated blood vessels that come along that cat mask distribution, bridge of nose across the top of the cheeks. First thing that's going to get confused with is simple sun damage. So you get persistently dilated blood vessels with sun damage, and that's usually where they occur. That's the tough one when someone comes in to me with very early onset erythrotelangiectatic rosacea, as I'm often talking about. I can't tell you if it's rosacea for sure. It might be your sun damage. Hard for me to tell at this point. So those would be the two things. Next up is more the classic common type that is easy to diagnose. That's papulopustular rosacea. You may still have that telangiectatic background, the red dilated blood vessels, but in there you're going to have actual little bumps that are pustules. The pustule is the diagnostic feature in a way for rosacea. You need pustules for that. And then finally, rhinophimitis, which is, if you don't talk about it, what your patients are fearing the most. And that's when you actually get just sebaceous gland hypertrophy. And it's usually the nose that gets quite bulbous. There is no connection between how much alcohol you drink and this. It's usually men. It's usually men with outdoor jobs that happen to genetically have the tendency towards rosacea and this type of rosacea. 
The problem, though, for this is that it is usually linked directly with, in the population's mind, with alcohol consumption. So it can be very bothersome for folks that do have it. Once again, we only broke it down because it matters for treatment. So here we go. This woman was diagnosed with rosacea um, based mostly on which feature? Was it her age, her sex, the fact that she had absolutely no history of teenage acne, her lack of comedones, so no blackheads, whiteheads, or presence of pustules? I led you in the wrong direction, didn't I? A few minutes ago, as soon as it came out of my mouth, I'm like, they're going to get the next answer wrong because I said that. So, <laughs> in theory, for this type of acne, the pustules need to be there, but true hardcore diagnosis, you can have pustules and acne vulgaris too. So, the biggest thing is the lack of comedones. You're only going to have comedones in acne vulgaris, you're not going to have them in acne rosacea. Age-wise, she's female. Sex, she's probably, uh, it's a female. Um, no history of teenage acne doesn't indicate anything. You can have acne vulgaris later in life if you didn't have teenage acne, and you can have acne rosacea later in life if you didn't have teenage acne. So it actually comes down to the lack of comedones. So what do you do for treatment? For all types of rosacea, you talk about trigger avoidance. Now, some patients will not note any triggers other than maybe sun. So sun is probably the most universal, so sunscreen. After that, the one that most people pick up on the most is alcohol, probably next up spicy foods. But that list is things that people will talk about as far as their acne triggers. And it's a matter of avoid them if you can, if it is bothersome to you. But just because a patient hasn't identified a trigger for their rosacea does not mean they don't have rosacea. So not all patients with rosacea have definitive triggers for their rosacea. So the first subtype of acne rosacea, the dilated blood vessels, erythrotelangiectatic, what do you do for it? This is the toughest one. The thing that works the best is a pulse dye laser that will treat what's there over time, that patient will probably accumulate more, but it will treat what's there at that time. Next up is oxymetazolone, tazoline, sorry. You know it as Afrin nasal spray over the counter. This is one of those things I talk to patients about as an event treatment. You're gonna use this before the family photo. You're gonna use this before the special anniversary dinner out. You're going to use this before the talk you have in front of the board of directors. That's the type of thing you use this for because of rebound. So if you've ever read a bottle of aspirin nasal spray, it says that you can only use it for so many days and then you have to stop and see your doctor. The reason for that is there's rebound. So first it's going to constrict the vessels and then it's going to widen them up and make things worse. Okay? So. Have patients experiment first when it's not important to them. See how it works for them. See if they get skin irritation. Maybe don't do both cheeks the first time you try it. Put it on. If it seems to work for you, then stop at that point. Wait for the event. Start the day before the event. Application in the morning, application at night, application for your event, and then discontinue so you don't get the rebound. Cheap, easy, 
and honestly, without heading to laser, which an insurance company is not going to cover lasering for acne rosacea, considered cosmetic, this is probably the way to go for these folks that have that erythrotelangiectatic rosacea at this point. Future will improve. I'll talk about that later. Papulopustular rosacea. This is the one we're good at, so we don't mind when this walks in the door. This is the topical metronidazole. Your metrogel, more alcohol in the gel, or metrocream, better for drier skin type. Twice a day application usually works beautifully. If you've got someone that's not getting quite enough of a result, and you might predict, for instance, this woman down here, there's a lot of inflammation in her acne rosacea. She might need an oral antibiotic. Maybe not constantly, but she may have times of year, maybe in the summer months when she sees more sun, she's worse. So maybe you run her for three months with a low-dose oral doxycycline. Rhinophimidus rosacea. You treat it like papular pustular rosacea first, so you're trying the topical metronidazole, you're trying the oral tetracycline antibiotics, but they may need to go to isotretinoin. And if the nose has already gotten quite big and it's not shrinking with treatment, we may need to CO2 laser resculpt it. Unfortunately, once again, not usually covered by insurance. Okay. How long will it take to see improvement for treatment with acne rosacea? A, two to three days. B, one to two weeks. C, three to four weeks. D, one to two months. E, three to four months. Doesn't matter which treatment either. Oh, so optimistic, aren't you? I cannot tell you how many days I use the phrase, skin is slow and stupid, okay? <laughs> if skin gets angry or inflamed for any reason, it will go there fast. So your skin can get mad really fast. Like it can ramp up inflammation in minutes practically, it seems like. But to get that inflammation to go down usually takes a few months. So you've got to just be patient. That's probably honestly why a lot of our acne rosacea patients end up on an oral tetracycline antibiotic in addition to their topical metronidazole because they didn't have the patience to wait long enough. They came back after a month or they came back after eight weeks and said it's not working and wanted more. But if you can just let them cool down, wait a touch longer, Usually, the topical will work for most people. So what's new in rosacea? This is what I was talking about when it came to the afrin. So that erythrotelangiectatic type, just the dilated blood vessels. There's a new product, bromonidine tar tartrate gel, trade name Mervaso. It's only on trade name right now. As of yet, I have not heard of a single dermatology uh, patient in a department of uh, 30 dermatologists that has had prescription coverage for it yet. It is that expensive. So eventually, it will go off-label. The price may or may not come down, and it may become an option. But as of yet, we have not successfully in our part of the world been able to get it covered, and the price is ridiculous. It's like $500 a month. Next one down, I mentioned the Afrin that I talked about, right? There, we just in this week got FDA approval 
for a daily topical 1% cream, I am very hesitant at this point. Have not seen data on rebound, have not seen any explanation of why this wouldn't rebound, so I'm hesitant. It's not on the market yet, but in theory something's coming. I would expect, though, it's going to be ridiculous expensive. It's going to take years before it's covered by drug companies. Papular pustular type, there is something out there that's interesting. Price is still up there a bit, not quite as bad. Ivermectin cream. So you think ivermectin and you think, but what? Why rosacea? There's a little mite that's in all of our skin called Demodex, just to gross you out before you head out for the rest of your vacation. We all have a lot of it. In oilier areas, we have more of it, and there is some thought that drives the immune system a bit in some people that are genetically inclined, and then if you reduce the numbers of the mite by using ivermectin cream, you may control the rosacea. There are some early studies that it might be a little more effective than the topical metronidazole. Uh, we'll see what time tells, but I think it's a viable option. If, you've, if you're not having luck. So in summary, acne, acne vulgaris, plain old ordinary acne. You need to find out in your brain, is it comedonal, whitehead or blackhead, in which case the topical retinoids basically are all we have to treat it, okay? If, however, it's inflammatory, then we start with a retinoid, we go to a topical antibiotic with benzyl peroxide, maybe go to an oral antibiotic, and in women, we might use an oral combined contraceptive pill. Rosacea, once again, you've got to figure out that subtype. Just the telangiectasias, red and telangiectatic. At this point, pulse dye laser from a dermatologist or afronasal spray for events only. Papular pustule, topical metronidazole, oral doxycycline, maybe ivermectin cream. Rhinophimatous. That's a tough one. You treat it like the papular pustule, or, and if you're not getting progress, refer that on to a dermatologist. That might take isotretinoin, uh, and it might take some laser resurfacing for that. Thank you. Thanks for listening. You can find additional podcasts and other videos from Selected Topics in Internal Medicine at mayotalks.com. Mail Talks is a copyrighted program from Mail Clinic.